everybody. Welcome back. This is uh, Rock Hard Caucus, episode number two. My name is Justin. I'm here with Chuck. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm here. Don't worry. All right. There he is. I'm also here with Evan. Hello. And Natalie. What's up? All right. Welcome back, all of you. Nice to be in here speaking with you again. Uh, our first episode made a pretty big splash. Uh, we got we got lots of uh, listener feedback, which we did not solicit and specifically <laughs> said we did not want. Uh, oh, and we have a hater, too. Oh, probably more than one. But we'll, we'll address our haters and all of the feedback in a little bit. Uh, but first, we wanted to start off with something a little bit lighter. It's a funny story, but it's also uh, very serious in its consequences. This is a story about the dangers of irony. <laughs> uh, and this this is something that happened to Chuck, something that he took part in. Orchestrated by. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would you like to set the scene for us? Sure. So um, i like to start by saying anybody that knows me well uh, knows that the line between reality and irony for me is often like very, very blurred and pretty much doesn't exist. Like the, the waters of my life have been completely muddled with irony. Irony poisoning. Yeah, I have irony poisoning. Um, I've often uh, had like my posts confused uh, with. I've had I've had people literally tell me that they thought that I was a conservative. <laughs> I'd be replying to these uh, Facebook pages uh, in irony, and uh, they'd be like, "Well, we saw this, and like I just assumed that you know you were like this." It's like, no, no, no. But uh, last year I had uh, an interesting run-in uh, with my own brain at a Colonels game. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the Cedar Rapids Colonels are the single-A affiliate of the Minnesota Twins, so they are a minor league baseball team here in town. Yeah, and uh, as as established last week, Chuck is very involved in local sports. Yes, I am. So if you go to any sort of you know hockey game, baseball game, uh, pretty much anything around here, there's a very good chance you can you can meet me there, you can run into me, and if you want to uh, fight, then I, I guess we can fight, uh, you know, uh, or just talk. Only uh, trust I, your I, fists. Yeah, only trust your fists. <laughs> He'll take all comers. Yeah, I will. So, um, that being said, uh, Sierra Rapids baseball, the Colonels are sort of a staple of life around here, if you're a sports fan. Um, they were both the ballpark uh, when we were pretty young. I want to say in, like, 99, uh, it used to be a dump. The uh, top row in the ballpark uh, you could sit at the very top and, uh, you know, and, and we're behind home plate and you could watch balls get fouled off up over your head and hit cars in the parking lot. And I have very fond memories of my father and I sitting at the top watching uh, baseballs fly over our head and watching them hit cars in the parking lot, like pretty much just specifically doing that. Cause <laughs> I don't think my dad could have cared any less about baseball. I and mean, you know, I was pretty young, but it's just something we'd go do. Anyways, that being said, uh, when they were rebranded from the Sierra Rapids Reds to the Sierra Rapids Colonels in the 90s, I believe it was 93 or 94, uh, they got a new mascot. And that mascot is the lovable anthropomorphic ear of corn named Mr. Also Shucks. Also completely horrifying and disturbing. Yeah. yeah, he's very horrifying. One of the most disturbing you know, mascots among many uh, in major <laughs> or minor, minor league baseball in particular has got some horrifying creations, but... <laughs> Mr. Shucks is is up there. I yes, and I I could do an entire podcast episode by myself about all of the hilarious teams and mascots that are in minor league baseball because there's a lot of them. Anyways, so Mr. Shucks has had multiple incarnations throughout the years. He's kind of 
the very early ones, he looked very odd and just it was like a very awkward looking costume, and it still does look really awkward, but it's a little more polished now. So what he is is he's an ear of corn <laughs> that stands upright. Um, he's got a big pair of shoes. He's got big like Mickey Mouse gloves on. Um, he's got these big round unblinking eyes. Uh, his mouth is always open and like a permanent soy face, and his tongue sort of hangs out right. So he has a baseball cap on also, and uh, this was probably this is after the Kaepernick thing and after the protest started. So this would have been in like 2016, you know, maybe 2017. I I can't remember. Like time has just kind of blurred itself for me for the last four years. I didn't even realize that Mr. Shucks was supposed to be an ear of corn. Yeah, he's an ear of corn. <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of him. I thought he was just a baseball man. No, he's an ear of corn with like his, and his head is a baseball. Yeah, like, he's got a Mr. Met hat. Mr. Met head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you've got it. Right, you've got it. The only visible <laughs> corn that I'm seeing right now really is his arms. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> He's barely so, yeah, corn. He he has a baseball cap on. A lot of mascots have a baseball cap on, too. Uh, it's just kind of common practice. And, of course, at every sporting event in the United States, uh, they do the national anthem before the game. Everyone stands up. Uh, removes their hats and, uh, you know, listens to the anthem, and then you sit back down or whatever. Mr. Shucks, his hat was permanently affixed to his head, <laughs> right? So I usually sit behind home plate, and Mr. Shucks would stand with the players, and all the players would remove their hats, of course. The bat boy would remove his hat, the managers, coaching staff, and there's Mr. Shucks standing there with his hat on his head still. And something, like, there is, like, this irony tumor in my brain that, is usually benign, but it's sprung to life and <laughs> blood started surging to it. And I was like, hey, that's disrespectful. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, I don't fucking care, right? Like, I could care less. I don't think any of us here could care any less. But I'm like, hey, Mr. Shucks has his hat on during the anthem. That's funny. And, you know, I go to probably 20 or 30 games a year and it kept happening. I'm like, I think that hat's permanently sewn to his head. <laughs> like, it has to be. So. Near the end of the season, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but they have a comment box there, and I thought it'd be funny to fill out a comment card that was like, uh, I noticed that Mr. Shucks has his hat on during the anthem, during every game, and I find it very disrespectful, I find it in very poor taste, and I think it's frankly un-American. Uh, the note went something like that. Uh, so, fast forward to next season, we're at a game, and same as always, there's warm-ups, and, you know, they trot the flag out, and the players come out, and uh, the anthem starts playing. And I look over, and all I can see is the back of Mr. Shuck's spherical bald head with no hat on. Even and I'm more like, horrifying. I'm like, what the fuck? And I realized that he had a removable hat. They cut his fucking hat off. They took. They made his hat removable. They designed him a new hat that could fit on the, his head, so he could he could wear it backwards, he could wear it forwards, he could take it off. So here's Mr. Chuck standing there, horrifying enough as he already is, with no hat on, and he's holding it over his heart, his his corn heart pumping corn blood through his veins, ethanol, and. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, at first I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, I was just joking about that. Li oh, my God. And I couldn't help but wonder if one of the owners of the team or, you know, somebody involved saw my card and they were like, 
wow, this is a good point. Oh, they definitely did. (laughs) They definitely did. (laughs) They definitely did. That's exactly what happened. So I can't help but think to this day that, like, something that I thought was just, you know, relatively, you know, harmless and, like, a joke, and I was just being ironic, would stoke nationalism. So, like, this is the danger of irony (laughs) is, like, you know, your irony can bleed into reality and it can, you know, it can do very bad things. Not that there's anything bad about, uh, you know, having a mascot that can take its hat off, but the means at which we got to that point uh, are going to haunt me forever. And there is a picture a couple of games later where Shucks came into the audience and uh, I motioned over to him. I'm like, hey, come, come over here, come over here. Let me try your hat on. <laughs> so it was, during, it was during a Timber Rattlers game because I remember I was wearing my Christian Yelich jersey and I had a, my, my Milwaukee Brewers hat on and I'm like, trade me hats. So he's like, I'm not putting your hat on, you know, but he gave me his hat. So there's a picture of me that is me wearing the giant uh, removable nationalist Mr. Shucks hat. And uh, it all came full circle in that moment. I have a quick question. Uh, so you said that you asked to try to trade hats with him and you said that he replied and said he wouldn't wear your hat. Was he actually? Well, no, he didn't say that. Okay. Like, I was wondering if like he was motion, actually like, no, speaking. No, no, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I've only had one mascot ever speak to me, and that's because I know I know who it is inside of it, and he'll kind of talk to me. What you're saying? There's a person in there? Uh, oh my god, I'm so there sorry. Is uh, not. I mean, uh, you're ruining the illusion. That's that's I'm even sorry. more disturbing, actually. <laughs> it is. Children could listen to this show, and you. I just hope not. Took the magic. <laughs> <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you all. Um, you may think it's funny, but your jokes may have consequences. Yeah, if if you're gonna do irony, you gotta know your your, your audience. You irony know? will consume and destroy. If a man. your audience doesn't understand how deeply the irony is in your brain, they're gonna think that you're serious, <laughs> and that that yeah. can be a bad thing sometimes. Because yep. sometimes mm-hmm. you're saying some really ridiculous stuff, and it's really funny to you, but they, they might they may not think it's so funny. So. Yeah, and they may redesign a mascot costume as a result. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know if they cut it off his head or they like was it velcroed? It was like velcroed on or something. Um, no, now it's not velcroed because I kind of examined it really quickly while he handed it to me. It looks like it just fits on his head, so it's meant to like cup the top of his very round head and just sit there perfectly. (laughs) That's pretty. Like, so they engineered it. You enacted some real change. I did. Yeah, that's praxis. It is fucking praxis. Absolutely. Yeah, kind of. For the, the wrong kind. The, yeah, the opposite <laughs> way. But, <laughs> uh, so uh, next up, Natalie, you wanted to maybe address some listener concerns. I just wanted to give, uh, we do not take feedback into account if we do not want to. So um, we are the final says on everything and you are welcome to provide it, but we do not have to listen to it and we did not solicit it. So, um, first of all, I wanted to share that my brother is a really big fan. Um, He said he absolutely loved it. Um, And he said the only feedback he had was he suggested that I consider being funny, like Evan. Yeah, he's right. Well, (laughs) I appreciate that. I uh, kind of flattered because not sure how funny I actually am, but. I mean, I, I hope I can be at least a, a role model to you, Natalie, and, and someday you might be <laughs> as funny as me. Someday, can I pick up some comedy pointers? Evan does a master class that you can enroll in if you like. I just want to be as funny as Chuck, actually. No, you don't. There's a lot of, <laughs> uh, 
there's a lot of brain rot in here that led me to where I am today. <laughs> like, you know, like, believe me. So, um, we got the feedback that, um, the Fallen Kingdom, which is Steve King territory, does in fact contain Ames, and there are good leftists everywhere. And I do think that is, like, a very important point to make, because, um, you can end up falling into the, like, um, painting this idea of the heartland or the south or wherever with this big brush that it's all like white supremacists and so i i think that is like pretty valid to be like hey there are like cool leftists everywhere and the election was actually really close last time yes, of even course. though date jd shulton was a big old fucking nerd like it was really <laughs> close so also um speaking of uh, leftists in the south uh, i've got a couple of my friends uh, that i met on twitter that are listening to this. Uh, so big shout out to the Alabama DSA. You guys are doing good work down there in some nice. very dangerous territory. Hell yeah. That's awesome. I would like to address the Ames thing as well. Uh, first off, one, I forgot Ames was over there. And <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't being mean. We were being stupid. We are Hawkeye biased, all of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the East Coast bias. <laughs> the, the, yeah. East Coast, the Eastern elites. The yeah, Mississippi Coast bias. And uh, <laughs> secondly, secondly, as I said before, I was born in Sioux City, so I also am one of the orcs, and it's it's okay for me to joke about it. Right. Well, I mean, you know, Western Iowa is a very conservative part of the country as a whole. Even I would say. I mean, obviously, Steve King does represent them to you know mm-hmm. congress but oh yeah so yeah I, I mean obviously there are leftists everywhere and there are leftists in very conservative areas too i had one more one more thing to say maybe a little controversial uh oh shit all right <laughs> jd Schulten is arbedo yeah. yeah yeah i can see that yeah however however arbedo has the sense not to immediately run for president so props to JD. JD, thanks for not running. <laughs> yeah. Also, he follows me on Twitter. So props again to JD nice. Shulton. Oh, nice. Sorry, JD. Um, we had someone say that we should talk about reparations, which we will and we support. And like, it's just that we only have so much time. Yeah. And we're all white. That's definitely a topic we should discuss, but probably not just amongst ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what I, I also said is like, we would like to have a guest because it seems like I would like someone to talk about it who has actual stakes and expertise right. and yeah yeah no matter how much research we do on the topic I mean we don't really have the right perspective I think to be speaking on that with authority yes and I think we were um we did address race in like pr- prison criticisms and police criticisms etc but like that is certainly something we do want to talk about but want to clarify that we want to have an actual expert and person of color talk about it and a bit of feedback that i got also too is that um we need to be uh more harsh and uh, go after centrists a little bit more and uh don't worry we will (laughs) like that's (laughs) definitely on the agenda no stone shall go unturned there is one guy who said that we should be more supportive of Yang, and to that I say, <laughs> I forgot no. about the Yang guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, the first engagement that we got on our fucking on an upload of our show was someone saying, "I think you're underestimating Andrew Yang." It's like he fucking came. Yang came up once. <laughs> like Yang came up once in yeah. irony for me. <laughs> and like, that was uh, that was on our our YouTube upload of the episode, yes. and I believe the I mean you 
Chuck put Yang as your number four, which is absolutely overestimating Yang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all laughed. Is that what person is referring to? <laughs> I'm imagining this poor guy looking up stuff, uh, you know, early caucus notes, early caucus takes, and he finds our podcast somehow and uh, sits and listens to the entire thing until he hears <laughs> me bring up the word Yang, and he's like, aha. <laughs> I knew Yang had support in Iowa. I'm pretty sure that was a bot, actually. <laughs> it might have been. Some guy's got a, a bot net that, that just supports Yang, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure most Yang supporters are actually bots in, in, in general. Very likely. Them. They pretty much um, only exist on the internet for what I've seen. Andrew Yang, if he becomes president, will issue your UBI stipend on a card. This card cannot be used to purchase firearms, ammunition, video games, or to be exchanged for cryptocurrency. <laughs> so now's the time to get off the train, boys. Disappointing. <laughs> Yang is done. Dead in the water. Uh, well, I don't want to spend too long on uh, listener comments, but I, I do want to say one more thing. And probably in the future, we'll never talk about this again. Um, we did get one Facebook comment uh, from a woman. It says, uh, volunteer for Bernie. Hey, now, what is this podcast about? And uh, <laughs> to that, I say, ma'am, it's about politics. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, do you have any more like serious things that you wanted to address from listeners? I think that we were kind of requested to get into some of the differences across the state. And like it is a podcast, like a regional podcast. And we're definitely yeah, going to yeah. jump into And, you know, that stuff is all going to be addressed. So I guess the biggest thing is just like we have time. We have a lot of stuff we wanted to get into. We couldn't do everything on the first episode or this episode either. Um, but we will. And then also I have the suggestion that I should consider being funny. So... <laughs> <laughs> I I will try. Give it yeah, a shot. I'm Give willing shot. to be a mentor here. <laughs> God, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on to uh, something a little more uh, substantial. Evan, uh, you you met with somebody this week, right? So I was invited into the. Well, actually, I invited myself into the Joel Hole, and I think we're all gonna you know travel down into the Joel Hole and get real comfortable here. But uh, we're gonna go spelunking. Yes, uh, <laughs> there is a certain Des Moines Register op-ed columnist who has kind of caught our attention. Um, mm -hmm. I think Justin has a little bit more background detail on him. I do. Um, if you if you listen to Chapo Trap House, which uh, I assume probably a lot of our listeners do. They read a Joel Curtinitis article on their Des Moines live show, so you may already be familiar with them. If you are not familiar with them, uh, here's a, a brief bio. This is on his minds.com profile. Um, Joel Curtinitis, opinion columnist for the Des Moines Register, published in USA Today, Real Clear Politics, The Federalist, The Blaze, and more. Host of constructive interference podcast god that sounds so interesting like <laughs> imagining myself scrolling through my options like you know what i've got a couple free hours today let's listen to a podcast oh yeah this one sounds really interesting <laughs> uh and here's joel's twitter bio to give you a little bit more about him uh christian husband dad millennial gamer uh, uh follow <laughs> follow for the saucy takes stay for the dad puns nice 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 i love this nice. dude <laughs> uh and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of his recent headlines to give you an idea of what kind of things he writes about democratic presidential candidates want us to fear each other not just trump 
Inside Gaming's Latest Revolt Against the Social Justice Left. Fucking Christ. I can't think of anything I want to read less than that fucking article. Like, what a dried up, cold take fucking haven that is. A Des Moines proposal would criminalize legal, responsible gun owners like me. Like me. That's the important part of the headline. One more. The compassion of Kyle Corver reads like racism. Yes. Oh, God. That one's my favorite. Who is Kyle Corver? Yeah, he's a basketball player, actually was born in Iowa. Yep. Um, he's a, a white guy. Very good he's shooter. He's a very good three-point shooter and has been kind of a role player on a lot of pretty successful NBA teams. I think he's, yeah, he won a championship with the Cavs He did recently. win a championship with the Cavs, yep. I mean, the NBA is one of the most political leagues and it has, you know, a very high percentage of black players. Absolutely. And so there's a lot of political activism in the NBA about racial mm-hmm. issues. And so he posted an article basically in support of that and saying that even as a white person in the NBA, he doesn't have the sort of like racial context that, you know, basically just talking about his white privilege. Okay. So he's cool. Yeah, he was cool. It was a very good article, honestly. Um, very well reasoned and and reasonable and of course I, I couldn't say the same thing about joel's but <laughs> so i got into it with joel on his facebook page after the chapo trap house show because he was like they didn't even invite me to their party that was about me even though it was <laughs> a five minute section of the show he said it looked lit he also said that they straw manned in which they literally just read an article where he basically whined about how uh, the n-word is the last word that you can't say or whatever why can they say it yeah Essentially, why can Kanye? I mean, he specifically mentioned Kanye, which is interesting. <laughs> anyway, I kind of got into it on his Facebook page. I, I maybe didn't go in <laughs> with the uh, best intentions, <laughs> but uh, ended up actually reaching out to Joel and asking him, you know, can we sit down and have a beer? Can we talk? Um, I'd kind of like to just discuss because I, you know, I think that your articles are a little ridiculous and I kind of just want to see if you're more reasonable in person he decided that we would do a Skype interview. And so I did a Skype interview this last Thursday with him. And um, if you've ever seen many of the YouTube videos about, you know, Ben Shapiro just absolutely demolishing a very upset college student, it basically played (laughs) out like that. I was playing the role of the very upset college student and he was playing the role (laughs) of Ben Shapiro, which I'm sure he'll take as a compliment. Yeah. He imitated his mannerisms. Yeah. He strapped Evan to the wheel of fucking logic and gave him the spin of his (laughs) life. Yes. Facts don't care about your feelings, Evan. They do care about (laughs) mine though. I said on the show last week that I'm a libertarian, but I I think after talking to Joel, I'm not half the libertarian I thought I was. And that guy, (laughs) that guy is a real libertarian. Uh, He's a true believer of the libertarian uh, variety. And that's kind of what we we talked about. I know Chuck and and Natalie have actually listened to parts of the interview. I listened to the whole thing. Evan recorded it for personal consumption. This is not something we're going to release to the public. And uh, I I have not listened to it. So I'm here to sort of learn what you talked about and maybe ask some questions. Well, um, the first thing I kind of asked him was, why does he think the libertarian strain of the GOP has kind of lost power? Um, And he immediately told me that he didn't vote for Trump, which is good. I mean, that's a good, good bar to clear. You didn't vote for Trump. Well, that answers that. Yes. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the libertarian wing of the party. He said that Rand Paul is kind of the libertarian thought leader. 
and that um, he's kind of the one who's influencing Trump to take some conservative policies, (laughs) but that Trump is really just an egomaniacal person who doesn't really care about anything, but, you know, that he's glad that there's still some sort of libertarian presence in the party to maybe get him into the, you know, he basically said that any libertarian positions that Trump holds are basically ones that he lucked into or or just were convenient for him. And I'm pretty sure that he suggested at one point that uh, Rand Paul uh, convinced him not to, like, invade Iran during a round of golf or something. Is is that what he said? Yes, that's absolutely what he said. Imagine saying Rand Paul is the intellectual thought leader. Uh, yeah. I was just, I, I mean, wrote that down. I, I wrote down some really good quotes. Like, from oh my, my perspective, God. Rand Paul is an absolute coward who basically ran away from any of his more libertarian ideas as soon as there was a, a GOP president, you know. Yeah, and he's got his ass kicked by his neighbor. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he employs the steamroller kind of i don't study rhetoric or debate or that sort of thing but you can tell that joel kind of hangs out in a lot of libertarian circles where they do that sort of ben shapiro steamroller style of of argument yeah raise the speed and pitch of your voice yeah he's he's a very good mimic of ben shapiro but no matter what don't stop talking yes talk 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 yeah well our conversation started out pretty reasonable i mean those are some fair things he he's you know he said about a third of people who openly identify as libertarian also support trump which i'm not sure I okay mean, uh, you know that's his perspective and i trust his perspective more than i trust mine uh, at least about libertarianism or how libertarians think um but i got a little yeah, deeper yeah. in and i started asking him about objectivism does he think that you know, a society that's organized for the benefit of anyone's self-interest, you know, sort of idea that the individual is the ultimate decider and basically everyone should always act in their own self-interest at all times. And so he said that, you know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't necessarily believe that that system will ever exist or anything like that. But then he did go into a tangent about how uh, he'd mentioned charitable, charitable giving right away and said that the charitable giving is done by people at the top of the the ladder of the economy rather than the people at the bottom. And that there's something important about that. So I asked him if he believes in the idea of a meritocracy. And he says, uh, yes, I do believe in the idea of a meritocracy. I asked him if we have one now. He said, no. But he said the reason why is because of government intervention. That the reason that we don't have a meritocracy is because of the government getting involved in the economy, which... I find it a little strange. What do you think about that, Justin? <laughs> was his point that the people on the top were were doing the charitable giving because they're morally superior, or what? What was he saying there? No. Yes. I mean, I think so. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say the morally superior part wasn't at that point, but okay. I guess I don't understand what his point would have been to bring that up. Well, I don't think he had a very good answer. <laughs> so All right, cool. <laughs> just basically said that rich people are, are generous and so that, I don't know. So, um, yeah, he said that we don't have a meritocracy because of government intervention. Right. Uh, is he referring to affirmative action or what's his beef here? Um, well, we'll get a little bit further. Again, this is pretty early in the discussion <laughs> okay, and okay. he kind of... Yeah, let's keep rolling. Yeah, so he went on to, we kind of talked about you know, whether or not, you know, how inequality happens. And he said inequality is natural and specifically <laughs> mention genetics. Bone density to be specific. Oh my God. What was it? Yes. Bone density yeah, and height. A, he's a, he's a caliber he brought up bone person. density? Yeah. yeah. He brought that up unprompted. Yes. His first example was height and his second example was bone density. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I kind of said, so do you believe that that has anything to do with why billionaires have the kind of resources that they have? He said that most billionaires are workaholics. And I kind of went on about how once you have capital, that it's very easy if you have investments and you have property, it's very easy to sit back and manage your money that way and not have to do any work in your life. I said that billionaires have more vacation time and more time away uh, from work than the average person. And he said, that's a stereotype. Hmm, I think it's the truth. <laughs> I think it's a little ridiculous to say it's a stereotype. I think that uh, in general, the the rich have a lot more access to leisure time and yeah, yeah. different types of leisure, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Epstein, Epstein, Epstein. Um, I think that the, the idea that billionaires are workaholics does that just mean they have full schedules? I mean, they, I'm sure they have a lot of meetings, but they're not doing. Like, I mean, I assume labor. he was just talking yeah. about Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Do you have any idea how much time he spends on airplanes? Like, do you have any idea how much time he spends uh, sitting in a starchy suit at a big table? <laughs> suits? He's very, very busy. Like, he's a workaholic. Super dude. productive. Yeah. Let's just forget the fact that you know. The United States uh, workforce is taking less and less vacation time every year, far less than the rest of the world. We're way behind the rest of the world on any kind of annual leave. I want to note a couple things. Um, one, I feel like in order to understand what this interview is like, you need to um, know how Evan was talking in it because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> and I wrote my second writ sentence that I wrote down is, Evan is funnier than me, actually. <laughs> Sorry, my brother, you actually are. Um, You were doing this thing that flexes on people that I love, which is where you say their name a lot. Like, I just wrote down the word Joel, like, seven times because it was making me laugh so hard. This is when the it started to get a little bit heated because I was a little <laughs> sure, sh- taken, sure. taken aback <laughs> at the uh, <laughs> idea that billionaires have less free time than <laughs> than the working poor. So anyway, so yes, he was talking about innovation, how billionaires are innovative. They have innovative minds. I sort of asked him uh, if that's something that's natural to them. He said, no, some of them are lazy assholes, which I, I 100% get hmm. behind. Doesn't that contradict uh, what he just said? Well, no, he's saying, I don't know. He, he said like Bill Gates. He, he wanted to talk about Bill Gates, and I mentioned other billionaires who aren't Bill Gates, and he kind of waved him away. But anyway, we <laughs> okay. continued on. I want to talk about Bill Gates, but not right now. All right, well, basically what Gates. he said, he said the question is, how do you motivate people with innovative minds to innovate for the good of others rather than for themselves? Because people are born selfish, which I kind of agreed with. Um, but he said that is a great success of capitalism because in order to provide wealth for yourself, you have to provide goods and services to other people so it's really capitalism is about altruism (laughs) when you get down to it it's about caring for your your fellow man by providing goods and services yeah by commodifying all of their basic needs that they need to stay alive correct um i continue to ask him if the current economic system is stable he said no and the reason for that is because we do not have a purely capitalistic system so I kind of tried to, you know, get him to a point where maybe he could, you know, draw a line between his idea of the individual supremacy, um, you know, versus like how that actually results in society. You know, what happens from that kind of ideology? I don't think I made much ground there, guys, because <laughs> it uh, it continued on. Um, mm-hmm. He said, "I so like the next question I had was, do businesses have a responsibility to, you know?" 
pay for or should they be responsible for any negative externalities they create like pollution uh, yeah, great that's, question. That's, yeah. Pollution is the number one externality that we talk about now, especially because of global warming. But uh, he immediately dodged that question. Um, he basically said, "Who controls those? Like, who controls our government?" And I said, "Basically, big national or multinational corporations." And he said, "Well, so how do you expect the government to control those companies when they are the ones who control them?" And it's just like a ridiculous sort of chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, it's almost like you're suggesting that maybe the system should be uh, changed. Right. I said that is the problem, Joel. That is, in fact, the problem. Right. Is that it- <laughs> Normal people would have an aha moment there. He's like, a, it was a wolf wolf watching the hen house situation. I'm like, in fact, it is, Joel. That's very correct. Yeah. Look at that. We're not so far apart after all. So I said the the difference <laughs> the difference between government and corporations is that the government, at least in theory, should be accountable to the people, and corporations are not accountable to anything other than, you know, shareholders, people who have right, profit. You know, yeah, people who have a stake in the business. And he vehemently disagreed with that. He did not like that. This is what his counter was. What government took down MySpace? Damn, he's right. I don't yeah, what? <laughs> Is he thinking of Backpage? No, I think he's just saying that companies should be able to fail on their own, but it doesn't really have anything okay. to do with what I was talking about, which is about how... I was very baffled by that. I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but no. No, I mean, I wanted to have a discussion about how... you know, I said I believe in pure democracy and that people should have control over the government to make it accountable to the people and that you can never have that with corporations. That's kind of the road I was trying to go down, but... It's it's very exhausting to talk to someone like that. Yeah, well, I mean, look at what happened to Friendster. Yeah, <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a thing about like King, like what what was the retail market like in the nineties? Was it like like Sears and like Walmart and stuff? And he's like, yeah, but what happened to Kmart? Then I kind of started talking more about like how obviously the retail sector is is you know just one part of the economy, but I started talking about the financial sector. And how we have these very large banks and insurance companies that many millions of people have their money invested in. Those businesses were not allowed to fail <laughs> after the market crashed in 2008. He really, really has no answer for the year 2009. Like he no, has- his, his basic idea was that we should have let the banks fail. Which, I mean, there could be an argument for that if you're an accelerationist. Uh <laughs> which right. uh, not necessarily, but I kind of tried to explain to him what that would mean and that it would mean like a collapse more like the Great Depression than what we had. We, we did talk a little bit about the Great Depression too. And he said, well, did you know that Europe had a Great Depression that wasn't as severe? And I said, well, yeah, because it started here and the economy was still global at that point. Right. We live in a global society. Yes. <laughs> which, yeah, he agreed with. So yeah, we talked about that. He wants, basically wants the market to decide what businesses fail, but I tried to explain to him that that would result in sort of societal collapse. <laughs> he just like fundamentally does not understand that between the difference between finance and like a Kmart, Walmart, Amazon competition, like that it's a very, very different thing. And he just does not understand so we went on to talk about racism. All right, guys. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked him, what does he think of Trump's plan to end birthright citizenship, which he didn't really have an answer for. He actually, to his credit, on immigration, he said that 
he wants the legal immigration process to allow more people in. He wants to streamline the legal or the legal immigration process, and also provide a path to citizenship for uh, illegal immigrants, which was good. However, he wouldn't say that Trump is a racist. He doesn't know what's in his heart. Yes, he Evan. wanted to go into about. Did he actually he, say that? Yes, he said. Well, oh he, said, that he, he said in his heart, like he'd said he said that because he doesn't know the intent behind Trump's actions. So he wants to separate intent from outcome. That's real important here. Yes, that's of course because you know good intentions. The person leading the world. Their intentions matter more than their outcomes? Uh, I guess so. That's basically what I said, too. I was like, Trump isn't just an individual. He's a, a president of the United States of America. Um, he also said that the both sides do it quote was taken out of context, which I kind of explained the whole Charlottesville situation to him. And I basically said that Trump was basically shouting out these alt-right groups and that he was basically doing incitement at this point, at which point he said that if the president wanted to openly incite people, he would be telling people to kill each other. Which he pretty much does at his rallies yes knock the shit out of him yeah i mean he's not saying legal fees please murder that man he's saying like beat people up who protest at my rallies like take their shit away from them beat them physically yep like it's just it's just shy of like please form a mob and murder all of my detractors. He absolutely what a fucking knows what he's doing. Stupid little definition of incitement too. Oh yeah, he also got into the dictionary definition of racism, and I was like, there's a lot of different oh, definitions, God. and I mean, if you're gonna just divorce <laughs> it from any social context, then have you all considered that racism is just an ugly form of collectivism? Yes, he brought that quote out, which I proceeded to know what he was going to bring up and, and told yeah him you the said it first. before he did <laughs> yeah uh anyway so i kind of went into about identity politics about how the right has its own sort of identity politics it's geared towards white males and he said he hated it he hates all right however how brave of him i, I kind of pressed him about how <laughs> trump uses that support base to improve his own standing or you know to gain power and he says he kind of went into using racists as like a niche support group, which I got very, I got upset at this point. <laughs> so I kind of asked him why conservative politics attracts the kind of people who, you know, I asked him why, you know, Trump, even given that Trump is not a racist and how come all of the Trump, you know, the racist people do support Trump. And he countered by asking me why the Democrats attract the KKK. Yes. Oh. Yeah, that yeah. thing. Oh, my God. Also, he claimed the Southern strategy isn't real. The guy that came up with the Southern strategy is on record describing the Southern strategy. Yeah. He said it's been debunked, though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that solves it. <laughs> so, yeah, I said, you know, you can draw a direct line between Nixon and Reagan and Trump. And the same sort of like racial dog whistle politics have have always been a part of that. So we continued on. We talked a little about immigration, too. I already kind of brushed on that. You know, he did accept, say that we should accept refugees from Syria and, and Muslim countries. However, we kind of went back to racism. And I said, I asked him if the average black person has the same experience being pulled over by the police as the average white person. And he actually said yes to that. He said it's due to locality, geography, socioeconomic status. People ignore all the other data points. However, uh, he did message me on Facebook the next day uh, to clarify that statement, uh, which I will read. 
One thing I rethought after we hung up and came up with a different answer was the question of law enforcement and black-white experience in the U.S. After further thought, I would say that the experiences are different on average. I just don't think that the reasons are as simple as systemic racism. Due to all the other things I mentioned, geography, population density, socioeconomic status, and more. But if pinned down to a yes or no on that question, I think no is the most correct. And last night, I think I gave a general yes. So he did clarify that. Uh, he does think that the average black person has a different experience being pulled over than the average white person. All of all of those other parameters he mentioned have racial components. Yes. Of I mean, that is what, <laughs> that's what systemic racism is. It's why are people living in certain places? Well, because of redlining, because of environmental racism. Why are people in certain socioeconomic classes? Like because of the inability to generate wealth and the inability to pass down wealth and the like, you know, inability to get credit. And like all of those things are completely related. And if you say that you don't believe in systemic racism, but black people do have like lower incomes, how live in like areas that have more pollution. Like if you're acknowledging the like true fact that like the material experience of people of color is worse in this country, but you don't acknowledge systemic racism, you are saying there is something inherently wrong with a black person that makes them unable to have better material conditions. Right. Like that's the issue is that if you deny systemic racism, but acknowledge that there are differences, then you're saying that it's based on some inherent value in a black person right. or. Well, and that's what he said earlier in the conversation was too, is that inequality is natural and that it's a result of genetic factors. Yeah. So he basically wanted to say that systemic racism isn't a thing because it's, you know, the actions of individuals. You know, he, he again wanted to go in and say, you know, an individual person might act in a racist way, but that you can't. He, he didn't like that. He thought I was generalizing. Basically. Listen, listen. Individuals, they may perform racist actions and there, there may be a correlation between the, the individual wearing blue <laughs> and performing these racist actions. There may be a correlation between them having a badge and being racist. There may be a correlation between them, uh, you know, driving a black and white car and, you know, being racist. But it's all, I mean, there's no... You can't separate their intent. No. Their intent was not to be racist. You can't say it's the system. It's an individual who happens to be employed as a police officer. Uh, it may be thousands of these individuals, but you can't say that there's any sort of larger, you know, systemic issue. It's every individual police deciding independently to to be racist occasionally. Yeah, I, I mean, I did. I think this was basically at the point where I said we live in a society. <laughs> it was yeah. during this conversation, yeah, uh, which we in fact do live in a society. However, <laughs> uh, we kind of went on after that. I mean, that was I. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that, so I moved on with my interview. It's like measuring <laughs> head shapes type shit. It's pretty yeah. bad. We kind of got into, like, healthcare, um, and so we talked about how... I tried to get him to understand how the free market rations healthcare, and that it's a system where the people with the most money have the most most um, access to healthcare. And um, he talked about how there needs to be competition in our health markets, um, he says, okay, that, you cannot have competition. If you are sitting there and you need to go to the hospital, you're not going to go fucking research which hospital like provides like the best rates or whatever. This is the free market does not apply to this. God, I hate that. Okay. I sorry. know. Yeah. So I, I asked him how he, uh, how, if he understands how the free market rations healthcare, he says that he actually said that's not how it works at first. But then I said, you know, there's a lot of people in this country who can't afford healthcare. 
Uh, he said the reason is because we don't have a free and unregulated medical system. Like in oh, India, God. where you can get a heart surgery for $1,000 because they have an unrestricted market, they treat heart surgery as a commodity, and it's like an assembly line. He literally said these things. That's a positive in his mind. I know, and that's what I said. I said, so do I think, I said, do you think that's a good thing? Like, do you think that that <laughs> is a reasonable way to run? I mean, do you think, well, he said there's people here who are flying to India to get a heart surgery done. Which I mean, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, but that's of, that's somebody that can afford a flight to India. Exactly. Yeah. So he never really addressed at all about how this was going to help poor people actually afford healthcare. He just said that it should be unregulated and that you should be able to pay a provider directly for whatever they're asking. Yeah, just bargain with your fucking doctor for healthcare. That yeah, you want to bar exactly. He wants you to be able to you know completely unregulated bargain with your healthcare I'll provider. I have to ask my neurologist if she takes Doji coin next time I go in. and i kind of just try to talk to him about how inefficient of a system that is for something like healthcare where people have like a life or death need for these services and that it's still you know these insurance companies are basically rationing healthcare and it's we could have a much more efficient system if it was government run. But mm -hmm. again, the government is bad at all times. Regulations are bad at all times. We would have more freedom if we could buy an MRI with Dogecoin. But <laughs> when you think about the less people that are alive on earth, uh, particularly the United States, uh, the shorter the line is for healthcare. So I talked about World War II and I tried to get him to admit that during World War II and we rationed supplies, especially like rubber and food uh, you know, the war effort involved the government basically telling factories what to produce and where and where to send it um, and how it was basically a rejection of the free market for the purposes of actually winning the war. And he right. said that that was a, a big misstep and that the, we actually shouldn't have rationed resources during World War II and that the free market basically should have decided, you know, which tanks had treads and which ones didn't. So he wanted Hitler to win. That's what I said. I said, so we should have thrown the war. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, not only did that stop Germany, like that led to the most economically prosperous period in this country's history. Well, I definitely brought that up too. And I did mention that the during the time, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s, we had super high marginal tax rates compared to what they are now. And that it was also the most economically prosperous time. Even average workers were, were benefiting from it. And, you know, as productivity rose wages rose but we didn't i didn't yeah. really get that far and i mean it's like i said he's hard to talk to because he's a steamroller type <laughs> yeah. who will talk fast and and change the subject and not answer your question and i'm i was a little bit turned off of legal drugs <laughs> at the time when i was doing the interview so uh i just i just want to do a i want to do an asterisk there uh actually russia stopped germany sorry i didn't mean to you know oh that is true <laughs> yeah communism actually won world war ii we mm -hmm. it wasn't america Right. But, it, you know, it, it did cause economic prosperity for us, yeah, even yeah. if we didn't actually do anything to. <laughs> America played no role at all in World War II, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we had, at this point, I was basically done with my, like, serious question. Or not serious questions. We did talk about abortion. Because Joel is a militant anti-abortionist. He basically believes that the moment you decide to have sex is the moment you decide to have a child and there's no fucking discrepancy at all between any of the times between like it's it's insane life at the point of conception no exceptions. life at the point of conception yeah he's a personhood person 
about the abortion stuff, but first I want to read a quote that I wrote down from him. Yes. Which is, video games are a battlefield for tribalism. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I did ask him about video games. I tried to get him to play Rocket League with me. Uh, he's not a PC gamer. He did almost make a PC, I mean, he did make a PC Master Race reference, which was... <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty appropriate in context. I basically asked him, Does he? what is the current state of ethics in video game journalism? <laughs> 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 the most important question of the interview, by the way. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't help but wonder. Uh, I think that Joel would have been the perfect person to get on board Gamergate and propel himself to stardom. Like, if he would have played his cards right during Gamergate, like as a libertarian, doing that shit and that kind of audience, he could easily be making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month doing, I don't know, fucking... Funko Pop unboxings on YouTube now, you know, yeah. like left out life behind. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of room for grift there. <laughs> did you ask Joel if he's ever played Postal Two? <laughs> no, I did not ask <laughs> not him if he's ever that. played Postal Two. That's a good one though. <laughs> but then I, um, I asked him about abortion, and I asked him uh, basically if abortion is illegal, who should be punished, and and what should the punishment be. He liked the idea of doctors being the ones who are responsible for it. Um, he said it should be treated like any manslaughter or murder case, basically. And then I asked him what the woman should, you know, is is the woman going to be, like, is there going to be any punishment for the woman? Or does it, and he said, uh, I think maybe an accessory charge would be appropriate. And so I said, so you're saying that a woman should be an accessory to murder when she decides to have an abortion. Uh, Natalie, I bet you have thoughts on this. I have so many thoughts on this. I have a lot of experience talking to these fucking wahoos about this, like, garbage. Because he he is, like, really, really good at what he does. I wrote down a couple of principles about how you talk about abortion with these people. What they always want to do is pull you in to this, like, philosophical... Like, they want to get you off the track of what does it mean to be illegal. And I, it needs to be centered on that as much as possible. So when I have conversations with these people, um, they will always try to bring it back to like, okay, so it's a baby like in the, like when it comes out of the birth canal, but when it's in the birth canal, it's not blah, 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 blah. Or like when life starts. And it's like that, like, I don't give an absolute flying fuck what your opinions are about that. Like I care about, okay. What does this mean in the real world for people? So the best way to kind of get people like that on their heels are to say, okay, abortion is legal. What should be the punishment? Because um, in if something's illegal, if you're outlawing it, you know, you have a, like your only options are carrots and sticks. So if you're talking about public policy, like I never, ever get into like the philosophical stuff or like what time in the pregnancy and blah, 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 like always recentering on the what does it mean to be a legal question. Yeah, it's Um, the same thing he did with regards to race by trying to separate the intent from the outcomes and the outcomes are the only thing that matter. Yes. So you never, ever engage with them about anything but what does this mean for my life that you believe this? So yes. to say to say something like, I don't know, you just have to be like, I don't care about any of this. I'm saying you think it should be illegal. What does that mean? 
and you have to push on that and just keep coming back to that because they are really, really good at getting you into these like really weird circular arguments about like what is a baby, which is like not it, it goes nowhere and you don't win that way. You have to like yeah. continually recenter to what does this mean for real life? How do you translate these beliefs in real life? Instead of listening to them babble about their beliefs. Because that has been a lot of my experience is people just coming up to you and just like vomiting their feelings about like different trimesters, etc. Yeah. And you have to just constantly recenter it to what does it mean to be illegal? You cannot let them pull you into any kind of argument. You have to say, okay, so you believe this stuff. I don't. What do you think we should do about it? Yeah, I really wish I could have gotten into the the carrot and stick sort of thing because he wants yeah. to use the stick. <laughs> you know, that's the only sort of thing that they understand, it seems. But they're unwilling to, like, really take it to the logical conclusion. They are unwilling to come to this is a murder charge for women if you believe that. And it is stupid so if i were to go and hire a hitman um <laughs> the hitman does not get the charges that i do i get worse charges because i hired them all the hitman did was get paid to do what i asked so the person who does the conspiracy to commit murder should be the woman if we're being like internally consistent yeah so you right need to, you need to commit to that or you need to shut the fuck up yeah because you know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah. I don't care. I don't care about your feelings. Like, do you if you believe it should be illegal, this is what you should believe. Do you believe that? Like, and they you, will weasel around that. <laughs> they will weasel around it and you just have to keep fucking asking. Like yeah. you cannot let these people pull you off track. The things that I um think that you have to be careful to not let them do is you can't get into like at what point in the pregnancy is it okay? Yeah. And you can't get into the, like, anecdotes or telling stories or because all you kind of do when you do that is, like, trudge up people's trauma for someone to not give a fuck. So when the state makes something illegal, they can either punish people or reward people. So what is the punishment? And they're just unwilling to take it there because if this is, if you believe that that is a person, then what a woman has done is hire a hitman. And what that is is conspiracy to commit murder. Yes, and I asked him a very good hypothetical question that Natalie had provided for me, which is, uh, if you're standing on a cliff holding a baby and a Petri dish that has 20 different embryos in it, and you have to, you know, are forced to drop one of them, which one do you drop and why? Which he immediately was like, he didn't he didn't like that question. He didn't like it at no. all. He wanted yeah, to like compare that. it to a trolley question, which I said, it's... Yeah, it's not a trolley question so much. It's just a, a human being versus, like, 20, you know cells <laughs> which according to him would be 20 human beings 20 human beings yeah which is yeah, what yeah. he continued to argue past that point but he never actually answered the question and i said of yeah. course the average person is going to choose to spare the baby because it's a human being yeah it's yeah. not a tro it shouldn't be a trolley problem for him yeah it should be a very easy answer it should be which number is larger 20 if you truly believe that an embryo is a person then that is not a trolley problem Right. That is a, you have one and you have 20, which one is bigger? And it's not a trolley problem for me either because I'm saving a baby because a baby's a baby. Yeah, for you, it's it's zero in one hand and he one in the other. He avoided that right. one like the plague and tried to get me into a discussion about, you know, the same sort of like philosophical nonsense that you were talking about earlier. 
yeah, just don't engage with that. And people do that to me a lot where they'll, um, like, message or call me and be like, this person is saying X to me. How do I answer it? And the answer is you don't. You you just don't. <laughs> you don't talk yeah. to these people. You don't engage with anything besides what do you think should happen to people. Because he admitted, like, abortions are going to happen no matter what. Okay. Yeah. Legally, we have two options. We can send checks to people who decide to parent babies or we can put people in jail who don't. Those are that's the only options we have as a state. And if you like continue to recenter that, that's how you can really respond well to these questions because it pushes them into having to say, "I believe this should be a murder charge." And once you get there, you can really get gangbusters. Yeah. So I tried to be an advocate as best as I could, but at this point, I was just beaten down by just cold cold relentless logic i think i did tell him at one point that like that's really cold <laughs> um it might have been in a different part of the conversation but yeah no it was in this one um what sorry my one other thing um is it's also a good idea to um kind of center what the average abortion experience is actually like being that the vast majority of them are in the first trimester and a vast majority of those are with a pill and they don't really have an answer to the pill because that's not the image that they want to yeah. put in your brain. So Yeah, you know, he definitely wanted to talk about third trimester abortions more than anything. Yes, he was not interested in the, like, you take a pill and go home and bleed into a pad and that's the end of it. And that's the actual experience of the majority of abortions. And then also, like, 60% of people who get abortions are moms. And it's about the kids that they have. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that gets very lost because he's making this argument about how like much women will fall in love with their kids after like once the baby's born, they would never murder. I don't, you know, and it's like this, the reason that most people are doing this is because they have children and they want to fucking take care of them. Yeah. At this point I had been steamrolled by logic and I basically just muttered something <laughs> about how oppressive society is and how it just beats people down and that you basically just want to continue to think that, that sort of punishment aspect is what moves society forward, which I think is just obviously insane and just not proven by, by any sort of reality. Um, so the final question that I asked Joel <laughs> was, uh, have you ever had a heated gamer moment where <laughs> you let fly a certain word <laughs> that starts with an N, which he, he said he had never he had never done that. So that's good. And I also want to say, Joel, uh, he was very calm and reasonable with me. Um, I was the one. I was the angry, upset college student in this conversation. Yeah, you you were uh, you were triggered and destroyed. I by was triggered. His um, <laughs> I would say uh, Joel is sincere about his beliefs. He believes what he believes. And, you know, is, is forthcoming, you know, he's like willing to discuss that. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the time he took. Yeah. I'll say Joel, you know, he's sincerely wrong about everything. He's sincerely wrong about most things (laughs) and doesn't kind of follow the logical conclusions of what his ideology is. Yeah. So following your conversation with him, this was, uh, his, uh, Facebook post yesterday. People who disagree with you should not all be considered evil. There are evil people, but there are also misguided people and mistaken people. Evil people are agents of chaos and corruption, either dedicated to destruction or cynical self-interest without regard to others. 
Hmm. Misguided people generally have good intent, but have either bought into a false ideology or not researched the real-world consequences of their ideals or actions. Example, us. Agreed. Yeah, that's me. (laughs) That's me. In this instance, results must be evaluated apart from intent to determine whether someone is misguided. Mistaken people are just that, mistaken. There is not an expert in the world who is not subject to relying upon false assumptions, invalid data sets, or personal biases. Evil people need to be defeated. Misguided people need correction. Mistaken people need grace. Confusing these types and their needed reactions results in escalating tribal violence because we lump our opposition into the evil category and call for their destruction. Thus, every threat becomes existential and national goodwill decays into subdued hostility. I I definitely don't want to destroy Joel. I want to destroy his ideas and break them down into better ones. (laughs) Yes, Joel. Misguided people need correction. It's you. The thing is, I agree with him very much on his points about misguided, you know, all of that stuff. That's very much right. like Justin said. But yeah, he, the thing we need to realize a lot of times is that our political enemies are not stupid. Like the Republican Party is, the, I mean, there's an intent behind the things that they do and they believe the things that they do for a reason. And uh, I don't know, there's some people who are just openly immoral and there's some people who cling to morality and just don't realize what the like logical extent of their what they call morality is right are you guys ready to uh close up the joel hole yes yeah i've had enough joel <laughs> me too i'm very tired of. i'm joel. sorry i'm sorry <laughs> it was an hour and a half long interview but it felt like like a decade <laughs> all right closing up the joel hole no more joel today uh, we're going to move on to something uh, a little bit, I think, more serious. This involves local media and a a local college professor who has been, uh, in my opinion, smeared by the local media. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, so here in Cedar Rapids, uh, I work relatively close to uh, Community College, which a lot of people that go to high school around here, that's sort of their next step if they do pursue you know, secondary education. I would say... Uh, for a community college, Kirkwood is is very good. Yeah, it is good. It's, it's very good. I went there. Yeah. It's great. Uh, English professor there by the name of Jeff Klinsman was terminated from his position at Kirk Community College as an English professor over, quote, his, his ties to Antifa. They cite a reply that he made to Donald Trump, who was talking about uh, all these violent thugs bopping people over the head with bats or something. And his reply was something to the effect of like, oh, I know who I'd want to bop over the head with a bat. Apparently they saw this, uh, this is their excuse at least, they saw this as enough reason to terminate him, uh, ask him to step down, and he, he did. In the official statement they released, uh, this is right from Kirkwood's Facebook page, they said, as you may be aware, it has come to light that Jeff Klinsman, an adjunct professor in our English department, has, rece- has received criticism for opinions he has expressed online and in the news media. Some of these opinions were expressed as far back as 2012, which, okay, so you fucking know about this, like you've long known what this guy's ideology is and where he stands, while another about the current president of the United States was made more recently. The news of these opinions has drawn considerable attention for many inside and outside of Kirkwood community just as we embark on a new school year. So, like, all the, like, insane fucking reactionary right-wingers. Going on, they say, it is Kirkwood's leadership assessment that the attention this matter has garnered has the potential to create an environment that is disruptive to our mission. Our decision to remove Mr. Klinsman from the classroom has nothing to do with the substance of his views, 
bull fucking shit or his right to express them. Rather, our decision is based solely on our commitment to fostering a safe learning environment for our students, faculty, and staff. First of all, anyone that was ever in this crowd about how college isn't a safe space, you know, college is a, supposed to be about free speech, anyone that's ever gone to bat for that kind of shit, and we all know they're very disingenuous, this is just further proof that they're just a bunch of fucking assholes because they like something like this, this is extremely good to them, while they turn around and cry about, well, conservative values are being censored on campus. Yeah, no, it's not about uh, censorship or free speech or, you know, any sort of individual right to express yourself. It's about their team winning. Yes, scoreboard, scoreboard. That's all that fucking matters to these yep. people. And as far as I have read and can understand about Mr. Klinsman, uh, he has had a very positive impact on many people's lives. The fact that even in the statement themselves, they say that he's expressed similar views as far back as 2012, which seven years ago, th- th- there was clearly a few parents that got really fucking mad about this. It shows that Kirkwood has bought into the idea that Antifa exists as an instrument of violence. Th- th- they really couldn't have been any more fucking spineless about this. Okay, so uh, local TV station, you know, news people, KCRG, they're located in eastern Iowa. Uh, for a time, I was listed as a top fan of theirs on Facebook. And I- <laughs> <laughs> my badge has been revoked, and while that's probably uh, more accurate, I am offended that I am no longer recognized by the organization. These articles were written by Josh Scheinbloom. Uh, I have his bio pulled up here. He's got a big old shit-eating grin. Uh, Josh Scheinbloom joined KCRG TV9 as the chief investigative reporter in 2017. He's happy to be back in Iowa, close to both sides of his family. Before joining KCRG, Josh was a reporter at News 8 in Hartford, Connecticut for three years, and before that was a reporter in Cedar Rapids for three years. Uh, While at CBS News, Josh was a member of the investigative unit, where he covered Capitol Hill and worked on the Emmy award-winning series Rape in America, Justice Denied. So he's moved on from reporting on Rape in America to reporting on a college professor's Facebook posts. (laughs) (laughs) Prestigious. Excellent career trajectory, Josh. Not exactly a lateral move either. Good shit, man. (laughs) Article number one. The headline is Kirkwood Professor. I affirm that I am Antifa. You know, I think it'd be better if people just stopped saying Antifa and just say anti-fascists. Yes. So you can realize how fucking stupid you sound. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I don't like these people that are against fascism. Like, it, it really bothers me a lot. And it makes me wonder, too, uh, you know, who, who are the real fascists? Is it the guys, uh, you know, marching in the streets, waving Nazi flags and, uh, you know, wearing swastikas on their arms and, like, showing up with, like, full combat gear? Or... Is it the people that aren't doing that? <laughs> right. The people who think that's bad. Yeah. Like, I really can't tell. Like, what's the difference? Yeah. So here, here's Josh's uh, reporting. Complaints against Kirkwood professor Jeff Klinsman, who professes support for a militant leftist group called Antifa, is opening a debate over free speech on college campuses. Antifa is a group that has been behind several violent protests nationwide. Their name is short for (laughs) anti-fascist and is a movement focused on physically fighting far-right and white supremacist groups. In other words, fascism. Right. The FBI has monitored the group and President Donald Trump is threatening to designate it as a domestic terrorist organization. Klinsman, who has worked as an adjunct English professor at Kirkwood since January 2010, tells the I-9 investigative team, I affirm that I am Antifa. Klinsman declined to take part in an interview with I-9, citing safety concerns, but said in an email he makes no apology for what he has posted online. Good. 
Yep. Never yeah. apologize for posting. On the Facebook page for Iowa Antifa, one can find a litany of far-left statements and conversations. One of them features a tweet from President Donald Trump where he calls the group radical left whack jobs who go around hitting people over the heads with baseball bats. Professor Klinsman wrote in response, yeah, I know who I'd like to clock with the bat, dot, 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 uh, which Chuck alluded to already. Um, I want to say real quick, um, if this is a Facebook group, Iowa Antifa, please, guys, change your settings. Please change yeah. your settings to a secret group so yeah. dipshits like Josh Timebloom cannot read your posts anymore. Please. Also, invite please. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come in there if you'd like. Listen to the pod. <laughs> the Secret Service tells I-9 they are aware of Klinsman's post, but would not confirm if they are investigating it as a threat to the president. Yeah, because it's clearly not. Uh, Cedar Rapids attorney Sarah Riley says, while what Klinsman posted may suggest an act of violence against the president, she does not expect him to be charged. This is a quote from her. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> uh, she says... Wow, yeah. All the, those years at law school paid off for that one. <laughs> she says, It's so ambiguous that there is just no way that he'd ever be considered a true threat. A search through Klinsman's Facebook page shows over the years he has also made statements expressing his desire to stop evangelical Christians, where he included a poem that said, Kill them all and bury them deep in the ground. Klinsman went on to explain, it's not pretty and I'm not proud, but seeing what evangelical Christians are doing to this country and its people fills me with rage and a desire to exact revenge. Which you should be. I mean, where's the lie? Yeah. Uh, I-9 shared what we found with Kirkwood, but the college declined to comment, calling it a personnel matter. So thank you, KCRG. You did this. <laughs> I-9 also shared Klinsman's post with Pastor Dave Doyle of Hope Christian Fellowship in Cedar Rapids. Oh yeah, Pastor Doyle. Yeah. Question, question for you. Why did you do that? <laughs> Who is this guy, and why Fuck do we care? Knows, yeah. like, uh, Doyle thinks Klinsman should be removed from the classroom immediately. Quote from Doyle, This is not something that you can just dance around the topic. You have to confront it. You have to face it. You have to deal with it, sometimes very bluntly, and I don't see that this is what Kirkwood is doing there right now. I'm sorry, is this guy supposed to be some sort of, like, is this, is this who they go to for, like, their fucking moral beacon? Like, is this the guy holding the compass of morality for them? This yeah, what does he have to Doyle? do with this? I've never heard of this guy before. Like, who the fuck is this guy, and why is he in this article? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I was reading that, and I'm like, what, what is this? Like, why is this part of your fucking article? Let, let me just take that quote from uh, community leader Doyle one more time. <laughs> uh, God. <laughs> Front of the show. This is what he's... Front of the show. This is what he said. These are his words, uh, and, you know, try to, like, think of maybe another context for this. This is not something you can just dance around the topic. You have to confront it. You have to face it. You have to deal with it, sometimes very bluntly. Okay, Mm. and we're talking about anti-fascism. So you're more concerned with taking care of a college professor who has said some things that may suggest violence and may, you know, be unpalatable to you that you disagree with. You're taking that more seriously than the rise of fascism and, you know, open like Nazi demonstrations. You don't want to very bluntly confront that, but you do want to very bluntly confront some fucking English professor at a community college who said, I've said worse things every single day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's be fair. Please do not, please do not report on me. I have said worse things every day for the last three years. (laughs) Please don't cancel us already. Please. (laughs) This is the most bothersome thing to me about this perception that the media is attempting to create for the anti-fascist movement. Let's completely ignore the fact that the people they are seeking to deplatform are the type of people that radicalize those that go out and they actually fucking kill people. Like, let's go ahead and ignore that the last 
what, like nine out of the last ten fucking mass shooters have been obsessed with Donald Trump, or they were radicalized by far right groups. Uh, like, let's let's just forget about that completely. What about these people that are being mean to those that are seeking to elevate these people onto a higher platform? That are one of the main reasons these people are radicalized. Like, that's the most obnoxious thing to me. It's how short-sighted people are looking at this and not realizing that. You know, take take fucking Hitler, Nazi Germany, for example. The German people didn't just wake up one day and it was like, oh, this Hitler guy's in charge now. Well, I guess we're doing this. That sort of thing happens very slowly. It happens with one little thing at a time. It happens by changing just a little bit of the rhetoric every once in a while until it becomes the norm. And this thing just very slowly creeps into society. It, Like I said, it does not happen overnight. It's like a virus that spreads very, very slowly. And the anti-fascist movement exists to fucking stop that. Like, how is that not objectively good to these people? All they see is like, well, there's there's this old man that was bleeding at the rally that Antifa hit over the head. Oh, yeah, the fucking old man that was getting in people's faces with a collapsible baton and, like, trying to start a fucking fight. Yeah, he got a fucking fight. He got what he came for. That's exactly how they frame stuff like this. This is absolutely deliberate. They're doing this on purpose. And everyone's got the fucking wool pulled over their eyes over this. And Jeff Klinsman is like one of the fucking fall guys for this. I wouldn't be surprised if this was just to set a precedent for any other educator in Cedar Rapids that they dare not fucking associate with this. They dare not talk about this. They dare not make their students think about this. It's absolute horseshit and it's spineless. Yep. hundred percent. I'm going to skip the rest of the first article. It's not super relevant, except there is a quote from uh, Jason Blazakis, who was a former director for the U S state department specializing in counterterrorism. Uh, he was quoted in this article. I guess they asked him for a comment. Uh, and he said, I would just say if I'm an individual living in Iowa, I'd be more concerned, and I think the statistics bear this out, of being an individual that suffers because of a mass shooting carried out by an individual that may have right-leaning sympathies. Which, rock on. Thanks, yes. man. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. Thanks for going to bat. I am glad that that made it into the article. Yeah. Uh, so after after Klinsman was forced out of his position at Kirkwood, uh, KCRG published a follow-up article. Uh, this one is also from uh, Josh Scheinbloom. Uh, it goes like this. Jeff Klinsman, a professor at Kirkwood Community College who has ties to the movement called Antifa, has resigned from the school. In a letter sent out Friday, Kirkwood Community College President Lori Sunberg said the college has been assessing this matter for days. Sunberg went on to explain Kirkwood ultimately made the decision to have another professor take over the course Klinsman was scheduled to teach. Klinsman says he was put on administrative leave, but then in turn chose to resign. Sunberg says... Uh, hey, I just noticed in this article they spell Sunberg two different ways. Great fucking job, nice. Josh Steinbloom. Nice. Yeah, get a fucking editor. That invalidates the entire article, <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> One spelling mistake. Yeah, it now. It's over. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I have noticed like the, the quality of KCRG's articles declining in that respect. Like, I don't think they have an editor over there. There's just typos all hey, over the place. Mm, that's an interesting career opportunity for someone in here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Sundberg says the attention that has been brought to what has transpired has the potential to create an environment that is disruptive to our mission. She went on to say that despite the move, Kirkwood fully supports Klinsman's right to express his views in whatever forum he chooses. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly but, not. But not that forum. Not the one that he already had. Yeah. <laughs> Klinsman declined an on-camera interview. Good move. Uh, to discuss this development, but did say in an email he never carried weapons at any anti-fascist <laughs> action that he took part in. Why would he even have to answer that question? 
There, he's being interrogated over internet posts. Uh, Sunberg also said safety was a top concern of colleges when making their decision. She says their security will have a visible presence on campus moving forward and that they are working with the Cedar Rapids Police Department to implement a safety plan. No one was threatened at all by this. Jesus Christ, dude. There's cops out there all the time. I, I, I work nearby. Like, it, nothing. it's the same fucking shit. This is like... This is for all those like very concerned boomer parents about this. That's all that that's being said for. There's literally nothing is going to change. They say they're increasing security and police presence on campus because of an English professor's Facebook posts who has been fired from the campus. Yeah, who are they protecting from who? Yeah, it makes no no sense at all. That's the whole article. So I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's plenty. To, there's plenty to be upset about there. Like they did mention that Antifa, like in the first article, I believe they mentioned that Antifa like isn't an organized group of any sort, and that it's like, oh, well, of course it isn't. But I just wanted to reiterate that it's like, yeah, that's another thing. Like that's another thing that's infuriating to me. Like it's not it's a not... national organization. It's not a bunch of people. Right. Who, it's not a hierarchy. It's like some local like no. black block groups that cause i mean right. it's an ideology like there's no fucking like leaders of it there, there's no structure like you like you say there's no hierarchy it's a fucking it's a belief it's not i just drives me fucking nuts talking about this because of the misconceptions that people have and it's a lot of like good people it's it's people that i know that are otherwise they're very good people they just can't get over this fucking image that they've been fed of this group and it's just it's it's kind of heartbreaking Honestly, like, I, I, I fucking hate to see it, folks. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I hate to see it. The takeaway here is, uh, fuck you, KCRG. Fuck you, Josh Scheinblum. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Pastor Doyle. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, uh, eat my ass, Pastor Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you published an article about a community college English professor's Facebook comments just to smear him, to screw him over, get him fired from his job. Uh, he did nothing wrong. We stand with Jeff Klinsman. We are Antifa ourselves. We do oppose fascism, as you all should, which makes you Antifa. Yep. Welcome to the Borg, baby. Assimilate. We don't feel bad when you throw food at them. We support that. Yeah, I mean, I don't support uh, acts of violence, but show up if you have to. I mean, you should. If they're gonna, is there going to yep. be a demonstration in your community, which, I mean, this hasn't really, there hasn't been any major like right wing demonstrations around here but if there would i would i would definitely show up but don't don't bring weapons yeah. follow jeff Klinsman's example yeah i'm on the same page i'm not really i i don't i don't want the, the only means in which i could ever justify myself ever getting violent at something like that was it, i mean if it was provoked like if i had to defend myself or if i had to defend somebody you know that was there with me that's one thing but like yeah. in no way should anybody be immediately attempting to entice violence against these people because that's absolutely what they yep. want yeah like this yeah, is that's a what good they're point. there for this is what they fucking hope for they get in your face they fucking scream they threaten you and they just can't wait for you to push them like they can't wait for you to just like throw them an elbow you know that's ex- or headbutt them that's exactly what they want yes uh violence against fascists is self-defense uh fascism is out to eliminate people from existence because of their race because of uh you know their ideology fascists want to kill you and the people you love these people want to kill you they want to take away your agency and violence against them is self-defense to stop them from doing that yeah it's absolutely 
And I mean, none of that stuff can be kind of extracted from, I mean, there's always violent misogyny. There's all, you cannot separate any of those things. You know, I seem to recall a very good song being written about this by someone that we might know. Uh, I'll put that at the end of the episode if you want. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. I <laughs> okay. hope you do. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, is there any other any other stuff we want to discuss, or do we want to call it a day here? Um, I believe we've had some Twitter updates uh, about you know oh, one of our demands yeah. being to follow us on Twitter. Well, I do have a normal Twitter account. It's very normal. Uh, it's called He Well Actually. It's H E H Well Actually. Uh, so you can follow me there if you'd like. Yep, Evan's tweets are now available. They are available. To the I don't know. I mean, <laughs> feel free to royalty free yell at me on there for my antifa beliefs but uh i believe natalie has an update as well yeah i changed my twitter handle so it's easier to find so it's just nat j harwood at nat j harwood and also follow at cr dipshit for chuck and at justin k comer for for justin yeah if you go to at rock hard caucus all of our personal handles are in the bio there all right well i think that's that's a good uh you know collection of content for us today uh, thank you, Chuck, Evan, and Natalie for joining me again here in the Discord server. And thank everyone who listens to this. Uh, thank you, Jeff Klinsman, for not apologizing for your statements. You were right. You'd, Thanks to You did nothing Joel wrong. Prunitis. Thanks to Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> Fellow gamer in solidarity. Come on, Rock Hard yeah. Caucus, Pastor Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, have, have a great week, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. Peace and love. Goodbye. Well, I heard some liberals talking about the value of compromise. They say I cannot spit on Nazis or look them in the eyes. But when it comes to racists, I don't care about safe spaces. I'm gonna line up all the Nazis and punch them in their faces. Because Nazis should be punched. See